Well, good morning, everybody. It's wonderful to uh, see you all. So grateful that people who normally go to six o'clock have managed to wake up in time to get here this morning. And a special big thanks to the West Lothian guys for making the journey. Some of you were here last night and you've come back again to be with us this morning, which is absolutely wonderful. Um, uh, just to say that last night we announced that um, uh, Matthew um, has handed the church, well, not the church, but the eldership, lead eldership over to, um, to Dan and that he is now the lead elder of this church community. And we went into a lot of detail about what that looks like and what it means last night. And if you weren't able to be here with us, then uh, it, it was recorded. And I would really love to encourage you um, to get it firsthand, to go and listen to different people sharing about what that means for kings and the future. But we felt really peaceful last night. We felt really excited about what we're doing. It's good to be part of a church that's not afraid to embrace change and to move into a new chapter of the life of the church, which is what this is. For everybody, it's going to be really wonderful and very exciting. So it's my privilege to uh, share with you the Word of God um, this morning. And um, I've entitled this message, Hidden Treasure? Question mark. And uh, hopefully uh, that will be revealed more and more as we go through this uh, particular uh, word. Um, I don't know whether you, you've ever asked yourself the, the question, uh, why do I live where I live? Or why does this particular church, King's Church, exist? Why do any churches exist um, in the world today? Now, the answer to that question is manyfold. There are lots of different reasons that you could give as to why a church exists, or why as a Christian I'm in the workplace, or why as a Christian I am, I am living life like other people around me. Um, I would like to suggest to you that the major reason that a church like King's exists, the reason we planted into West Lothian, even the reason we started a six o'clock meeting, is because fundamentally we want to make Jesus known. We live in a, an increasingly secular society, where people have rejected institutional religion and there's a whole world out there that know very, very little about the gospel, who Jesus is. And therefore, although we exist for many, many reasons, this primary reason of making Jesus known to those who do not know anything about him is paramount in our lives. And so through the proclamation of what we believe, but also through the demonstration of how we live out our Christian lives, we believe that by doing that, we have this wonderful calling and privilege just simply to make the Jesus that's rescued us that we're thinking about in our worship to be revealed to people that he can rescue those people as well. Now in John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus made this statement, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. I absolutely love that passage. Primarily he's talking about being lifted up literally, as you'll be thinking on Good Friday, um, on the cross. And that when I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to me because of the sacrifice that I'm making. But the principle, I believe, in what Jesus said is, is a principle in every area of life. If we keep lifting up Jesus, then he will draw all men to himself. There you go. What an evangelistic strategy that was. We've got all our plans. Here's a simple thought. Keep lifting Jesus. Keep lifting Jesus in everything we do and everything we say. And all men will be drawn unto him. It's a simple promise. But I want us as a church here in Edinburgh or in West Lothian to do just that. 
We're just called to lift Jesus high. I want to be part of a church who is constantly lifting Jesus high. So, for example, through our worship. Our worship is not about our personalities or how we feel, what kind of week you've had, or what even I can get out of it. I hope you haven't come today to see what you can get out of our worship, because when you do that, you often end up very disappointed. You didn't like the band this morning. They're a bit too loud. Kids came and went. I'll give it marks five out of ten. It's, it's very consumerist, and it's not really what worship's about at all. Worship is about glorifying God. Worship is not man-absorbed, it's God-honoring. We come to praise him, to worship him. It's all about lifting Jesus high. I hope that King's Church is a church, when it comes to worship, it's all really about Jesus, right from the beginning. And in our preaching, we want to preach a lot about Jesus. You know, the answer to every question is always Jesus. It's just constantly talking about him. Paul said we preach Christ and him crucified. What's that? It's lifting up. Jesus, it's exalting Jesus. And yes, of course, we'll talk about all loads of things that are very relevant and cultural and big questions that people are asking, but it all boils down to this. If in the end we lift up Jesus, that's where people will begin to recognize and to see that he can come and transform their lives. We lift up Jesus through our relationships with one another. We lift up Jesus through the good deeds that we do. So, for want of a better word, churches like ours will be very passionate to do, to do deeds as well as words. That we will have, be involved in social action to make a difference in our society. And churches all over the nation right now are beginning to do this. And at the end of the day, what they're doing is they're expressing the love of Jesus, the compassion of Christ, and they're beginning to lift Jesus high. So it's wonderful to be in an environment like this. This is where I want to really land it. I have also been gripped recently. It came out of a prayer time I was involved in earlier this year and some prophetic words have come. Came. I have been gripped recently by the thought of people more and more seeing Jesus lifted high through very ordinary people like you and me. He'll be lifted high in our worship and in our preaching and our social action. But at the end of the day, people are going to see Jesus through you, through me. The thought of lifting Jesus is what I want to talk about this morning through the ordinariness of people like us. Um, I don't know if you can remember, remember Christmas, um, but I, I, have a, I have a kind of love-hate relationship with Christmas when it comes to how we lift Jesus high. When it's Christmas. So we're between Christmas and Easter, and it's Easter next weekend. And I don't know what your experience is, but our experience, and many churches I work with, is that literally hundreds and hundreds of people come at Christmas. And I'm very grateful for that. And we'll keep on doing it. We'll keep doing Christmas. We're not going to ban it, all right? We keep doing it, and guess what? And it happens that the same crowd come back Year after year after year. And we get a few more people, which is great. And essentially, but, you know, numbers of churches. I mean, I know one church that had 5,000 people come to their Christmas events over four or five meetings. I mean, just extraordinary. People come. And, and the reason that I, I get really frustrated with that is, is that they're all going to come back next year and they're going to hear the same story that they heard this year. 
And it's like Christmas is like chapter one of a book. It's like you reading chapter one of a new book, but only staying in chapter one and never progressing to the next chapter, the next chapter. And the reason it's frustrating is when you come and hear the message of Christmas, you're hearing chapter one, Jesus was born, Emmanuel, God with us. Everybody knows that Jesus was born in a manger and that there were as a star and that there, and there were wise men and there were shepherds and, and, and everything. And that's chapter one. And you don't really understand the Christmas message at all unless you go on to the other chapters. And the other chapters include Easter. Jesus, Jesus became a man He left a sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins. This wasn't just about a baby. It was about the Son of God. And then he rose again from the dead and is alive forevermore. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. You are allowed to look vaguely excited about such things. Um, And my frustration is that all the crowd that came at Christmas hears the chapter 1 and they don't hear the rest of the chapters. It's kind of like there's a whole thousands of people in their country that are kind of caught in a time walk, a kind of chapter one groundhog day. They got Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. And it's just they're stuck in chapter. Can you imagine reading a book like that where you just do chapter one and chapter one and chapter one? No one does that. Some of them might come at Easter, not many. Some of them might read some things, but most people are just in this country, kind of know a little bit about chapter one. People need to know the rest of the story. How are they going to know the rest of the story? I believe that one of the answers is you and me. You are the rest of the story. You are living proof that this baby in the manger became who he said he would be and he died on the cross because we have got our sins forgiven And that he rose again from the dead. And he has the power to change our lives forever. People need to know the rest of the story. If they want to know the rest of the story, increasingly they've got to meet Christians like you. This is a bit sobering, isn't it? But they need to meet us. They need to to hear how this baby, in the end, changed our lives radically. They need to meet us. They're not hearing chapter two or three. They're not hearing the rest of the story. And, and they need to see the rest of the story. Someone said quite recently, people no longer read their Bibles, but they do read Christians. We are the ongoing proof of the story. And that is how I believe it's important that we understand that Jesus is going to be revealed through people like you and me. If you have your Bibles, you might like to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The words will come up on the screen as well. And verse 7. So we're getting close to the hidden treasure bit. But we, Paul says, have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, look at this, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also 
may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. This is a remarkable statement. You have got treasure in you if you are a child of God. You've read the story. It changed your life. And then you are walking around this planet with this amazing treasure that God has put within you. And I want you to understand how attractive, how magnetic, how attractive that treasure is for people who are searching for treasure, but they don't know what it is or where to find it, and it's in you. It's, 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 I read this passage often, I, I, find, I find it just really speaks to me of, of how I lift Jesus high and, uh, and, and all my failings and mistakes, how this treasure that he's put within me, he is determined that this treasure should be seen by other people. Um, this is not hidden treasure. There's the answer to the question. This is not buried treasure. This is treasure on display. This treasure that's in you and me as Christians is the real deal. This treasure is different. This treasure is satisfying. This treasure is lasting. And I've got news for you. Everyone on this planet is looking for this kind of treasure. And you've got it. What is this treasure? I hear you say. This treasure is a living message of transformation. This treasure is that you've received a message that's changed you at the very root of your being. See, everybody wants to change. And you have found a treasure that's changed you. And if people could find this treasure, they would embrace it because it's the most wonderful treasure that there is. This treasure is about being born again. This treasure is about being a new creation. This treasure is about having a new beginning in life. This treasure, the Bible describes as an imperishable seed. That's why this treasure is so wonderful. It's not fading away. It's everlasting. Something of eternity has come into your life and been planted into your life. And this treasure involves that if you die today, you know in your heart that where you're going to go and you're going to be with God. That's amazing treasure because everybody wants to know at the end of the day, if you said to someone, I can guarantee... That if you died, you know where you get. Wow, <clears throat> that's a treasure worth knowing about and worth investing in. It's a treasure about the power of salvation to not only forgive your sins, but eradicate them and remove them as far as the east is from the west. Just still staying quiet. I don't know how you're managing. This treasure is about the resurrection power of Jesus. This is the treasure that says Jesus didn't just stay in the manger. He's alive. He's risen from the dead. And this treasure is in me. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, the Bible says, is now at work in you and in me. This treasure is about having abundant life. This treasure is real 
life. Jesus sometimes describes this treasure as his kingdom. And when describing his kingdom, he says things like, it's like a merchant that's got a whole load of pearls. And then one day he's looking all around the Middle East and he sees the pearl of greatest price. He sells all his other pearls just to get that one. And Jesus says, this is the treasure of the kingdom of God that is in you. Another one finds a field and he's got treasure in it. And he buys the field so that he can keep the treasure People are searching for this treasure that you and I have already experienced. This, is, this treasure is Christ in you and you in Christ. This treasure is about sonship. It's about now I know that, who God is. This is wonderful treasure. How do I know? He's revealed himself to me. He's my heavenly father and he's put his spirit within me. This is good stuff. He's put his spirit within me, thereby I cry, Abba, Father. Something inside me witnesses that I am a child of God. Hallelujah. And he is my father. This treasure is the constant, constant inner assurance that whatever happens in this world, nothing will ever separate me from the love of God who's in Christ Jesus. If you just flick over into Ephesians chapter 1. Sorry. It's just such good news and it's great to preach to a crowd like you because it reminds me that I'm in the United Kingdom. Now, Ephesians chapter, because if this was Africa, we'd be bouncing off the walls right now. But Ephesians chapter one, and I haven't got time to read it all, but verses three to 14, don't worry, I'm part of you, we're in the same tribe, okay? So, so apparently I look very dull when I'm listening to someone preach. Now, um, so verses three to verses 14, some theologians have described this as the treasure that we have in Christ. Talks about being blessed in Christ in, with, spiritual, with all, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. It's about being chosen before the foundation of the world, about being holy and blameless, about being adopted as sons through Jesus Christ to the glory of God, about being in the beloved. And in him we have redemption through his blood. And we've known his grace, verse 8, which is lavished upon us. And in verse 11, in him this treasure is that we've obtained a wonderful inheritance. And in verse 12 to 14, talk about the absolute guarantee because we're sealed by the Spirit until the day of his appearing. It's just one wonderful thing after. And it's describing you. You think this is, I I can hardly recognize myself. But it's this, somehow we have this treasure in jars of clay. And it's describing you and me. Now I have a question. If this is true, how will people see the treasure? And I think 2 Corinthians, if you can just go back there with me, uh, chapter 4, answers that question by giving us two answers. How, if this treasure is in how will people see this treasure? How will Jesus be lifted up in me? First is very simple. You're a jar of clay. Jars of clay describe human frailty. Something that's breakable. Something temporary. Something vulnerable. It's describing weakness. In fact, the jar of clay is just such a contrast to all the things I've been trying to share with you that the treasure is. And folks, I want you to really hear this, is important. That's exactly the point. The treasure gets seen because of what it's been placed into. You, frail, temporal, weak, nothing extraordinary, in fact, plain ordinary. It's God's wisdom that he's done this 
because he knows that through our ordinariness, the extraordinary character of the treasure will then obviously be seen. Look at verse 7 with me. I, I, I love this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Look at this next part. To show. The reason God's put his treasure in you and you think, God, have you made a mistake? This is ridiculous. Because you know how weak and frail you are. God, what are you doing? You should have put this treasure in someone who's a a superhuman person and then everyone would have been impressed. But you've put it in to me. Why? Verse 7 tells you the answer. To show our weakness and our frailty is actually key. Our ordinariness is vital for the treasure to be seen. You say to me, David, if you knew what I was like as a, I'm like as a Christian, I think you may even say I'm disqualified, but you're not. You say, well, I'm just so up and down in my Christian life. I am actually so inconsistent. I'm so obviously marred. I want you to hear something really important. You don't have to become something special in order to display the treasure. Sometimes Christians say, if only I was like this, then maybe the treasure will be seen. Or they say, if only I was like her, because she seems to be the sort of person that's displaying this treasure. If only I could be outwardly a better model of what God has put with me, in, with me inwardly, then maybe I'll display this treasure. Has it ever occurred to you that if you do become a better model on the outside, you might actually be doing the very thing you're not supposed to do and hiding the treasure. Now what I'm preaching this morning, I absolutely believe it's rooted in the word of God as you can see and it's throughout scripture, is actually something quite radical because a lot of churches are preaching something quite different. I want you to grasp this, it's really important. And a lot of us are kind of surrounded by books and preaching and everything, which is all about me becoming a better person. Me becoming. Now, obviously, we all want to be more like Jesus, and we all know, also know that we want to change. But the display of the treasure is not dependent upon how you look and how you're going and how wonderful you are as a person. And this is absolutely, this is totally liberating news for, for many of us. It's not you that's attractive. It's the treasure in you that is attractive. Say, well, I'm so ordinary. What a wonderful opportunity for the treasure to be seen. But I'm so up and down. Yes, you're frail and temporary. Here's the eternal treasure that God's put within you. People are looking at Christians all the time. And do you know what? They look at you and they see your weaknesses and your frailty. And you think, I better do a better job. No. I think people are watching and through your frailty, they might just begin to see what has actually changed you because you're not on a path to better yourself there is a treasure that's come within you that's totally transformed your life let it be seen this is not me this is the love and mercy and grace of God that is within me interestingly enough the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 9 when going through real frail moments he says but God said to me my grace is sufficient for you And then goes on to say, my power, the treasure, my power is made manifest through your weakness. You see, somehow in God's wisdom, it's through our weakness that the treasure is seen. Every time we kind of have a down on ourselves, we're missing the point. We're missing the point that even through 
the mistakes and frailties, the treasure of God will be revealed. It's been placed into jars of clay. Just one scripture real quickly that drives this home. Look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. I'm a bit nervous about that because this is Edinburgh and lots of people are very wise and doing universities and postgrads and everything. But not many got in, okay? Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Folks, look at this. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. I love this description of most Christians. Even things that are not. See, that's a description of many of us. We were nothing. We are not. To bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being, look at this, may, might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So that it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Second way that this treasure is seen is through living life. The next verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse, verse 8 says this, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Have you noticed that when you live your life on this planet as a Christian, you go through things that everybody else goes through. And, and so many people in the world that we live in get afflicted and perplexed and persecuted and struck down, and so are we. But on each of those references that Paul makes, something else happens. It's, it, we are, but, we are, but... And it's the treasure speaking. So if people see the treasure through you being a very ordinary person, nothing extraordinary about you, they will also see it because they're watching you and me and how we handle the things that happen in life. We go through the same issues as everybody else. Did you notice uh, recently when you had loads of snow here in Edinburgh, the snow fell on the houses of Christians as well as everybody else? And every Christian had to dig their car out. Like it wasn't that you know, we didn't get any snow because we're Christians. We go through everything that everything, everybody else goes through. Why? Because the treasure can then speak. And, and Paul goes on to describe it as, as, a, as a kind of death. He goes on in verses 10 to 12, he talks about we die, but Christ's life is manifest through us. Every time we choose to not live for ourselves, but for him alone, the treasure can be seen. Every time I make this choice that, that I'm not going to push myself forward, I choose him and not me, something of his life begins to seep out. Paul says, we die. He, he talks about this. He says, you know, at one point he says, I die daily. Why does he do that? Because he's choosing not to live for himself, that the treasure, the life of God might be seen. <clears throat> Many of you will know this scripture, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Followers of Jesus are people who are choosing on a daily basis 
not to do what I want to do, but to do what he wants to do. And through my frailty and through my ups and downs, as Christians, as non-Christians are watching me go through what they go through, they're going to start asking questions. You go through what I go through. You're just the same as me. You're going through the afflictions that I go through, but there's something different about you. What is it? And at that point, you do not stand forward and say, well, it's because I'm just a wonderful kind of guy, really. I've got all my life. No, no, no. That's boasting yourself. What you will do is you say, well, if you're really interested, can I just share with you the thing that makes the difference is because I've come to know Jesus and he's come and changed my life and he lives within me. And if he can live within me through his grace, then I'm sure he can live in you through your life. And we have seen recently, testimony after testimony, of people coming to Jesus who are seeing Christians go through difficult times and ask the question, but there's something about you. What is it I need to know? This is the treasure beginning to seep out. This is the lifting up of Jesus so people might come to know him. Now, very quickly, in this last 10 minutes or so, I would like to just quickly go through some visual displays of what this treasure might actually look like. Um, and, and as I describe these five things, if I can get through them, um, they describe what everybody wants to have. And to remind you, you already have it in you, it just needs to be seen more than it is. And we're going to look at some words that describe, these are words that the world uses a lot. And we use them a lot as well. And I just want to throw this one in for free before I move on. It's important that when we use words to ask the question, when we use the word as Christians, is it the same as the way the world uses it or is it different? So I'm going to speak for a moment about about joy, for example. So that when the world talks about joy... And we have an idea of what they talk about. And we Christians talk about joy. Are we talking essentially about something that's very similar to what they have? Or are we talking about something that's kind of similar but a lot better? I want to suggest to you as we look at these words in a moment, they're actually talking about something altogether radically different. Why is that important? Well, if what you've got is the same or only slightly better, that's hardly worth treasure investigating. But if it is radically different, to what people in the world experience, which is so temporal and doesn't last, then that is going to be massively attractive. The first one is freedom. And while I'm going through these, if you're a Christian here today, I want you to really have faith to believe that God will manifest these treasures through you. But the first is freedom. John chapter 8, verse uh, 36, well known. Jesus said, this is, a, this is a powerful statement. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. I love that phrase. It's like, you, if the sun sets you free, you're really free. And you're really radically free in the way that the world doesn't understand what freedom is. Let me give you two examples of what the world says when it talks about the word freedom. Probably it's talking about something <clears throat> external, first of all. In other words, if somebody is uh, enduring injustice or oppression and they get justice out of it and they're set free then we'd say, and we would rejoice as Christians with them, yes, that's a description of freedom. So many of us as churches are are in partnership with IJM, which is one of the biggest global movements, literally setting people in slavery free from slavery. 
It's fantastic. My own local church, absolutely committed to it. We've got people all over the church that are involved in it, sponsor for it, do all sorts of things. We want to applaud any expression that speaks of the freedom from injustice and oppression. Amen. Here's the problem. You can be set free and still bound within yourself. So this is, what, this is the deal. Apart from a handful of prisons in the UK, only a handful left, all the other prisons run alpha courses. And that means that scores and scores of prisoners are going on alpha courses and are coming to know Jesus. Has it ever occurred to you if they've come to know Jesus and they're put back in their prison cell? They may be imprisoned in their prison cell, but within them, they are free indeed. For years, people in China have been putting Chinese believers into prisons and leaving them there without knowing that these Christians are freer than the ones who are putting them in their first place. If you're in prison, you've become a Christian, you are more free than people outside of prison prison who have never known the reality of Jesus breaking into their lives it's an amazing thing this is what Jesus said when he said free indeed our freedom is a freedom on the inside and this is a treasure worth investigating another very quick example of the way the world talks about treasure uh, freedom rather is they would say things like this and we've been living under this mantra for at least 50 years do whatever you want as long as you're happy no restrictions Freedom is no restrictions. Be yourself, flaunt it, and just live for it. And sexual liberality, you know, liberal concepts have been what we've all lived under for 50 years. And now it's more free than ever, more available than ever. Do it whenever you like, with whoever you like, with no questions asked. 50 years. As I look at the new generation that's now growing up, that's lived under that philosophy, I ask myself a question. Are you more free than you've ever been before? Because I see a generation that's more in captivity and more in bondage and less understand what sex is really all about than any other generation that's ever lived. It's not really true freedom. And you come to the word of God and the word of God talks very openly about sex because that's what we should talk about in church a lot. And... uh, And it talks very clearly there that if you want to know true freedom, this wonderful gift of God, sex is between a man and a woman, it's in the context of marriage. And you shouldn't have sex outside of that. And the world cries, you've got to be kidding. The Bible is truth. And what does truth do? It sets you free. And we have a decision to believe, is this really true freedom? Absolutely believe that it is, contrasting to a world who thinks they're free, but they're not really Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This is inner freedom, and it's a treasure that people want to see. Second uh, word I would like to use describing this treasure is joy. These are just some examples of what can so easily outwardly be seen. And everybody wants to be happy, and everybody is on a journey to experience joy. But so much of the happiness and the joy of the world is superficial, and it's temporal. It's a feeling And when joy is just a feeling, guess what? When the feeling goes, you have to try and do something to get more joy back into it. And that's where addictions begin to come. Because you have to keep going back to the source and do more of it in order to be happy. And I think there's people who think that's joy and happiness. They need to see a different kind of joy and happiness. And I believe they will see that different joy and happiness when they meet people like you. So can you just look happy for a moment so that... 
But just, just, just they just need to see this. And, and the joy that we have in Christ is a joy that stays the same no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. This is a joy where you don't have to say, well, Lord, I will be joyful if my circumstances can change. But you can know joy in your circumstances. This is a joy that's a fruit of the Spirit. This is a joy that you can know even in sorrow, even in pain. I have Christian friends going through the most horrendous things. Even the world would agree agree with me on that. But there's such a joy in their life, which is almost like difficult to understand. Bible says we will go through difficult times, we'll have, more, we'll have pain, and then it says, but joy comes in the morning. It describes what you and I experience as everlasting joy. It never runs out. Joy in perplexities. The joy of the Lord is your strength. If you're looking for happiness, if you're looking for real joy, they may, people may just see it in you because this is not of you. This is the treasure that God has put within you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 speaks about this wonderful joy that's inexpressible and full of glory. This is not the same as the world. This is something altogether radically different. How are we going? A few more minutes. Peace. The world acknowledges our need for peace, doesn't it? It even acknowledges our need for inner peace. We acknowledge that people are deeply depressed, full of anxiety, Stressed out with the pace of life and modern technology. So even the world provides therapy and medication and suggests mindfulness and Eastern philosophies of all kinds. And the cry we hear all around us is, if only I could find peace. Well, the answer is you can. And real peace is only found in Jesus Christ. And you can even see this peace through the lives of ordinary people around you called Christians because the treasure includes peace which is on display. You see, the peace that we've got from God doesn't just deal with the symptoms on the surface, it deals with the very root. We find ourselves with peace with God, peace with our new identity, peace with other people. Jesus said in John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And I think this confirms what I was saying earlier about it's not the same, it's quite different. He says, not as the world gives you. I give you this peace. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John 16, 33, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. It's different from the world. You say to me, but I'm a Christian and I'm quite anxious. I understand that but there is peace available for you in the midst of your anxiety that one day will overcome that anxiety so that you will be treasure on display. Number four, love. More than ever, we live in a, in a society that's longing to know what love is. Huge confusion. So much love is superficial and temporal. God's love is very different. He even has a different name for it. The name is agape, and it describes a love which is about faithfulness and covenant, and it's such a glorious treasure. Let me quote this to you. Many of you know these verses, but uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, describing what this love is like. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. 
It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. There is a description of treasure that the people around you today are longing for. That's the kind of love, everyone. We're made like this. We're made in the image of God. All mankind is craving for a love that's described like there. You and I experiencing this love. And this love needs to be on display. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 describes something, what this love is like. It's about a God who shows his love for us while we're still sinners. And it's about a God who's poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit this kind of love. And folks, when we begin to love one another with this love, that is going to be so attractive because it's an opportunity for the treasure that God's put within us to be on display literally through the church. A community of people displaying the love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts to one another, not just through our words, but through the way we live. And in a love-deprived generation, where there are so few fathers and families are breaking down all over us, and there's this endless pursuit through relationships that are exhausting everybody, there is a treasure that is about the real deal. And you're an earthen vessel, you're a jar of clay, and this same love has been shed abroad in your heart, and it can be on display. Fifthly and finally, hope. Okay, still with me? We're coming to an end. This is the treasure on display. Freedom, joy, <coughs> love, peace, hope. There's not a lot of hope around, is there? 2018 doesn't look like a lot of hope. It's quite bleak. One Christian author said this. Let me quote this to you. It's an amazing quote. Hope is the fuel that the human heart runs on. A car crash or a diving accident can paralyze a body, but the death of hope paralyzes the spirit. We can survive the loss of an extraordinary number of things, but no one can live without hope. When it is gone, we are done. So when I read the stats about how many young men in this country between the age of 17 and 24 are committing suicide, which is more than any other nation in Europe, and I think, why is that? I think you've just heard the reason. I mean, there's no hope. There's just no hope. So life is meaningless. God's will is that people should be flooded with hope. And one of the ways people are going to see hope is through people like you and me. Romans 15 verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all hope, with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Can we stand together please? I'd love you just to close your eyes. We'll be finishing in a moment. Just let the Holy Spirit come. We had lots of words during the worship. I was listening very carefully to them. Really tied in with this. Keys, keys to open up our lives. Image, identity. This is what you are. You're a jar of clay. This is also what you are. You are a carrier of treasure that can be on display. 
I'd love you to agree with me in this prayer. Father, I, I want to acknowledge that I am a jar of clay. And I'm always going to be a jar of clay. Thank you. Thank you that you chose me. You chose me because you loved me, not because how great I would be and what an amazing witness, but because of my ordinariness. Somehow in your wisdom, the treasure that you've put within me would truly be on display. And even through my imperfections and my obvious weakness, please, Lord, will you manifest your treasure through me? And I'm praying just for Christians just now. Um, this is a joyful word. It's a freeing word. It's not a heavy word. And I, w- I want you to go out here today full of expectation that the freedom that you've experienced, you will have more experience of that freedom. Not just for yourself, but as a testimony to people who don't know freedom, that joy will become more and more the norm. That the peace of God would flood you. I'm praying that the love of God will be more and more real to you and that hope will be flooded through you. If you're someone here today that's not yet a Christian and you're looking for treasure, can I just encourage you, you'll never find true freedom outside of Jesus or true love outside of him. And only real peace can be found in him and through him. In Jesus' name, amen. I just say one final thing before Dan leaps up onto the stage. Um, this means that wherever we are in life, at uni, at home, through our families, wherever God puts us, whatever situation we find ourselves in, whether we say a lot or not, this treasure has an opportunity to be expressed. One of my son-in-laws, who's a wonderful Christian, his job is this. He is the head of the intensive care unit at Salisbury General Hospital. Guess what he's been doing for the last three weeks? It's just amazing that God suddenly puts you as people into situations where you can be salt and where you can be light and where you can play a part that you never dreamt that you would play. You never know when that's going to happen. All you've got to do is say, Lord, I'm here display something of your peace and your power through my life and whatever you're doing this week and whatever you're doing in the weeks to come that's exactly what God wants you to know that his treasure is not hidden but it's seen and on display amen